welcome to the follow on Fox Cricket's podcast on a significant day for Australian cricket, particularly with the view to the future. With Steve Smith nominated as the Australian Open opener going forward for the series against the West Indies and then beyond, Cameron Green back in to the Australian Test team, and some discussions elsewhere in terms of One Day Internationals and also uh, the T20s to come uh, in February. I've been joined by Ben Horn, the senior cricket writer for the Daily Telegraph, Nick Savage, a cricket writer for foxsports.com.au, to discuss today's developments. I'll start with you, Ben. You've been ahead of the game in terms of uh, perhaps uh, reporting that Cameron Green would come into the team. The indications from Andrew McDonald uh, leading all the way through the summer were that he wanted the talented Western Australian all-rounder in the squad. What were your assessments of today's developments? Yeah, g'day, Courtney. G'day, Nick. Um, look, I think it's a really good team, and I think the selectors have stuck true to what their main priority was through the whole process, which was to get Cameron Green in the team. Uh, I think they decided from an early point point that, um, it, you know, they didn't want to go another 12 months with someone of Cameron Green's talent being out of the 11. So that's been a priority for them from the start. But honestly, until Steve Smith publicly declared that he wanted to open, uh, I'm not sure it would have happened. Um, to me, that was a game-changing moment where Steve Smith presented them a solution to the problem. Who would go up to open the batting if we get Cameron Green in the team? Now, they might have come up with a different solution. Maybe Cameron Green would have opened. Maybe they would have convinced Marnus to go up and open. But uh, to me, everything changed the other day when Steve Smith said, actually, I really want to do this. I'd be motivated to do this. This challenge would reinvigorate me. It could be, keep me in test cricket. I want to do it. To me, everything changed. And when Steve Smith's telling you that, I'm not sure how you ignore that sort of chance. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's worked out well. Is it uh, – we see Steve Smith in preparing for tests and he's always the first one out in the middle. Uh, he's an avid watcher of, of what goes on in terms of uh, those in front of him. Is it an experiment? Is it a gamble? George Bailey was asked about that today, and I, I, I suppose he took it both ways from mine. He demurred initially, and then then went the other way. What, how do you assess that in terms of moving, you know, a prolific number four up to open the batting? Well, it's definitely a gamble. I mean, he's never opened the batting before, and you're talking about one of the best batsmen of all time going to an unfamiliar position and one where he's going to be exposed to the new ball straight away, and you know. As good an opener, you could be the best opener in the world and you're still going to get those days where you're out in the first over or two. So it's definitely a gamble to, I guess, risk burning Steve Smith so early in your innings. Um, But I think the good outweighs the bad. This team does need to start um, looking to the future. Um, Cameron Green is 24 years of age. Um, the rest of the batting lineup, well, the rest of the team for that matter, is over the age of 30. And Steve Smith, probably the way things were looking, really only had, I'd say, 12 to 24 months left in the game. And he, he's still, um, if you look at the stats, probably Australia's second most effective batsman. But he's not the Steve Smith um, that, you know, we saw in his prime a couple of years ago. So um, the chance to perhaps reinvigorate Steve Smith and give him a challenge that might keep him in test cricket for longer 
is uh, is a big factor. And to do that whilst bringing Cameron Green through in his best position, because in Shield cricket, Cameron Green averages 60 for Western Australia. Um, and I think he'll be a better number four than he was a number six. Uh, I don't know whether number six is really his position, um, but I think him getting him in earlier and, and, yeah, who knows? Maybe Steve Smith won't be quite as effective as he has been at number three and number four, but if anyone can do it, I think uh, his record suggests that he's, he's, he's a fair chance. Nick Savage, it's often said that it's a difficult uh, task to step into a great's shoes. This is an unusual occurrence where we have Steve Smith stepping into the shoes of David Warner and also a young, talented all-rounder who Nathan Lyons said could be the face of Australian cricket for the next year, next 10 years. Stepping into uh, Steve Smith's shoe as the, uh, as the alarm clock goes back off in the background, the cuckoo clock goes off in the background. Is it a big move for Steve Smith and for Cameron Green? Well, I think as Ben touched on, Cameron Green to four just makes sense. It is the right spot for him. It's where he's done so well at number four of Western Australia and also at the Gabba in Shield Cricket. He has a fantastic record at the Gabba. So for the day-night test, expect him to hopefully cash in. But Steve Smith opening, it is a gamble. It is a huge gamble. Replacing Dave Warner isn't possible. No one was going to be able to do that. Um, and Steve Smith isn't by any means a like-for-like comparison either. We've seen recently... Um, even dating back to the Ashes, it, it's taken Steve a little bit of time to get going in his innings. He's um, maybe his first 20 balls been a little bit, not hesitant, but definitely cautious in how he goes about things, which is very different from the David Warner that we've seen over the past decade, where sometimes even in the first two or three overs, he's looking to attack and, and hit the opposition through the covers. So Steve and Usman Khawaja, in some respects, are quite similar um, in that they are more patient, more cautious. Um, they do, you know, look to survive the first handful of overs before counter-attacking. And so in some respects, this is a more traditional opening partnership that we've in, in test cricket in some respects. So, but no, in terms of Cameron Green at four, I, I think it's going to be massive for him. I think that's going to be his spot for the next decade, realistically, which is pretty exciting for Australian cricket. And although Steve isn't going to be seen as an experiment. Ideally, he'd like to open for the rest of his test career, as Ben touched on. That's only going to be for the next couple of years. And with Usman as well, he's probably only got a couple of years left um, as well. So this isn't going to be a long-term opening partnership. But uh, until that next Ashes series, these two could do a fantastic job. Uh, ben, in an analysis piece before uh, George Bailey and the Australian selectors released the team, he touched on what it meant for... Uh, Marcus Harris to a, to a big degree, but also for for Cameron Bancroft in in pieces for, for the Daily Telegraph, also available at codesports.com.au. What does it mean for those two who have been in and around the Australian team uh, to see, I suppose, their hopes uh, for the summer and and perhaps the series ahead dash today? Yeah, it's a pretty crushing blow, I'd imagine, uh, Courtney. Um, I guess the crushing thing for Cameron Bancroft is probably how far away he was from making the team. Um, you know, because even if they went with a specialist opener, I got the feeling Harris was probably that man if they did that. And then you got Matthew Renshaw, who's the spare batsman in the squad. So um, Cameron Bancroft is the top run scorer in the Shield competition for the last two years. And I'm not sure he was really that close to making the side. Um, so that, 
would seem to spell trouble for his um, chances of playing Test cricket for Australia again. Um, Marcus Harris is it's it's a tough one. Um, as I say, I think if they did go down the route of picking a specialist opener, it would have been him. Um, but he's missed out to Steve Smith, and then he's missed out for this for the backup batsman because he is a specialist opener, I suppose. And Matt Renshaw has that extra string to his bow of being able to bat anywhere in the top six. Um, so, look, I think it probably would have been slightly easier to take knowing that Steve Smith is um, the opener. It's sort of like um, you're up against one of the best batsmen of all time. So that may make it slightly more palatable than if it was Cameron Green who was just ushered up there to, to open the batting. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough road for those guys to play Test cricket for Australia again. Um, as tough as it is, the reality, though, is that they both have played a decent amount of test cricket before. So it's not as if uh, we're just going on their shield numbers, you know, give these guys a go. You know, we have seen them over 10 to 14 tests playing for Australia and, you know, averaging in the mid-20s without a test century. So on that level, you know, you have to say the selectors have seen what they've seen and, um, you know, it's hard to say that they're too unlucky on that in that respect. There's a couple of other names flagged alongside, obviously, Renshaw being added to the squatters. It wasn't so much for his flexibility. It was it was made fairly clear, it seemed to me, that George Bailey had said he's in there as the next opener uh, once uh, Usman Khawaja, or, or as a likely mm. prospect, Usman Khawaja's time uh, yeah. comes, comes to an end. But the two younger Australian batsmen that were named, Hardy and also McSweeney, what, what do we see from them? Yeah, I mean, I think Aaron Hardy is going to have a big, couple of years in all formats of Australian cricket. I think he's definitely, well, he's been picked in the one-day team for a start, but I think he's on the radar. And, you know, if he can back that up with performances in domestic cricket and whatever international opportunities he gets, you know, I don't think he'll be too far away from getting an opportunity. Um, yeah, look, Matt Renshaw, I think, is a good like-for-like replacement for Usman Khawaja when the time comes. But, you know, as Marcus Harris's experience would show, you know, being the reserve batsman doesn't guarantee you anything. So, you know, there, there is that encouragement there for Harris and Bancroft that if they can go back and continue to put uh, runs on the board in shield cricket and build an irresistible case, then, you know, you make it hard for the selectors when that time comes. You know, it doesn't have to be... and You don't have to find like-for-like -like replacements. You've just got to find the best opening option. So as uh, crestfallen as they probably both feel today... If they've got that drive and, uh, you know, they've got that fight to sort of pick themselves off, off the canvas, then guess what? In the next 12 months, there probably will be another spot come up at the top of the order again. They've just got to put themselves in the frame. Nick, uh, amid the, I suppose, the long-awaited long uh, selection as to who would replace David Warner, uh, there was a one ODI team dropped as well. Uh for the near future uh, against the West Indies. What were some of the surprises or uh, things that raised your eyebrows from that squad being named? Well, somewhat unsurprisingly, all the bowlers and Mitchell Marsh, Mitchell Marsh have been rested, so they won't feature in the 50 over stuff. Um, and, and the replacements for them are sort of the usual names of Sean Abbott, Nathan Ellis, um, and, and Lance Morris, who will hopefully make his ODI debut in, in the coming few weeks as well, which is really exciting for him. Obviously, someone we've spoken a lot over the past 12 to 14 months and hopefully have a chance to shine in Australian colours in the next few weeks. Um, it, I guess the surprise was the omission of Marcus Stoinis, 
Uh, he, he's been a stalwart in this ODI team for probably seven or eight years now, since that century in New Zealand. And in 2016, he's basically locked in that number five, six spot in the 50-over team. But I, I guess off the back of a pretty disappointing couple of years in Australian colours and a really underwhelming World Cup campaign as well, where he batted four or five times without really making an impact. He's kind of lost his spot there to Aaron Hardy, um, as Ben talked about before. And I guess looking ahead to 2027, it's a move that makes sense. Will Stoyner still be performing in three, four years' time? Maybe not. Uh, I, I'm sure there's still a role from the 2020 Australian team. Uh, I, even in the Big Bash recently, like the last week, he's done superbly um, for the Melbourne Stars. So I reckon he'll still be there for the upcoming T20 World Cup. But yeah, I doubt we'll see him in the 50-over Australian team anytime soon now that Hardy and, and Mitch Marsh and Matt Shorter are players coming into the fray a lot more. Um, looks like Matt Shaw will be opening the batting with Travis Head, which is a pretty exciting opening partnership. Obviously, no David Warner anymore. Um, there's still a question as to whether Mitchell Marsh will be the first choice opening batter when he is available for the 50-over side. Um, but at this stage, Matt Short gets a chance to continue pushing his case on the back of some fantastic form in all formats for the Adelaide Strikers and Victoria. Um, the only other small surprise will be no action agar, but... I suppose for a three-match ODI series, maybe you only do need that one spinner in a 13-player squad, being Adam Zampa, of course. So um, tough on National Agar, I suppose, as well. But no, it's a very exciting squad. It's, it's a much younger squad than we're used to in 50-over cricket. Uh, no Cummins, no Stark, no Hazelwood. But, you know, more opportunities for Ellis, who is a really talented player. Sean Abbott, who has done superbly in 50-over cricket. And yeah, hopefully you can see Lance Morris unleashed against the West Indies. That's, that's a very exciting prospect. And I was going to ask you, Ben, uh, you, you touch on the evolution of uh, the Australian test team or, or the start of that evolution process. Is that what we're seeing with this test, uh, with this ODI squad being named? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's going to be an interesting one because I think a lot of people thought after the World Cup that there'd just be mass retirements in that team. You know, um, Steve Smith, um, David Warner, who has retired, um, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark and even Pat Cummins, um, you know, would they all, would, would that be it for them all together? Um, and I've got doubts over whether any of those people I just mentioned will be at the next World Cup. But the fact, I guess, that there's now a Champions Trophy being introduced in two years' time, um, which is an ICC trophy. So maybe it will be a bit more gradual than what people thought in terms of players bowing out of the team. And I guess what the selectors proved with the World Cup victory, with particularly how they used Pat Cummins, is that, you know, you don't have to have these guys play every single series for Australia um, in the 50-over format. Um, you know, if they're there for the big, big ones, that, that's where it can really make the difference. And, you know, that Australian team barely used Pat Cummins for a couple of years before the World Cup. And then both as a captain and what he did with the ball and the bat, you know, he was up there with Australia's most important player for the whole tournament. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, the other side of it is if, you know, these guys are continuing in test cricket, it's sort of worth their while to um, continue as 50-over cricketers when it comes to when the contract lists are drawn up. Uh, makes a big difference to um, to the bank balance at the end of the day, I suppose. So that's, that's the other factor there. But, um, yeah, so I think it'll be a bit more gradual perhaps than we, we thought, but... By the time the next World Cup rolls around, I think it'll be a very, very different looking team. And and I'll put uh, a last couple to you both uh, on an even shorter format. Uh, the T20 
team and, and what unfolds uh, in the next little period uh, regarding David Warner. Uh, George Bailey was asked at the end of uh, today's press conference discussing the various selection methods, what it meant for Warner for the future uh, and his commitments. Now, we know he's uh, he's a headline act for the Dubai Capitals in, uh, in the United Arab Emirates uh, in the league next month, but it does seem to me that there's some rather tight... I suppose, clashes with Australian duties in T20 cricket. And we do have a World Cup ahead. What did you take of, uh, of what what was said today, Ben? Um, look, I mean, it sounds like he's available for those matches that are in New Zealand coming up and, and all that sort of thing. Look, to me, it's not that big a deal. I mean, it would be if uh, it was more formats and if David Warner was intending to play international cricket beyond the World Cup. But the World Cup, that that's it. Um, he's already said that that'll be it for him for international cricket. So... Whether he's playing T20 cricket in a league or he's playing T20 cricket for Australia and New Zealand, I don't think it really matters too much. Um, you know, all these guys have played with Warner for a long time. He's still going to be playing T20 cricket uh, leading up to the event. Um, so I don't see that as a major factor. It would have been different if he was continuing on in 50 over and t- T20 cricket um, for longer. Um, but I think the fact that, you know, th- there's not really that much time until this World Cup kicks off. So, you know, I'm sure he'll get a few warm-up games before it starts. And, um, you know, it's it's still possible that he'll be there in New Zealand as well. And, and Nick, I suppose your thoughts on that, but also uh, I think Alex Carey had a, had a really good big bash uh, match last night, uh, he or the night before. Um, and he spoke on the eve of the Boxing Day test about his aspirations for short form cricket have we seen anything that uh, that might change in that regard in the next six months or so i'd say considering how strongly matthew wade and josh inglis have been doing in t20 cricket that seems unlikely um, matthew wade's been honestly australia's best finisher over the past couple of years he at number seven he's been fantastic i don't have the numbers in front of me but i think he's been averaging around 50 with a strike rate above 150 in the t20 international format during that period so He's locked in that spot if he still wants to go on. And we saw Josh Inglis recently in India during the T20 series score a sublime maiden century. I think it was actually the fastest for Australia in that format. So for Alex, unfortunately, I don't really see a spot back in for him to that top six, especially when there is still David Warner, Mitchell Marsh, Travis Head, Marcus Doinis, Glenn Maxwell, all these superstar names who have been doing a great job for such a long time. And I just don't see Alex pipping any of them for that spot, unfortunately. In regards to Warner, um, that clash is interesting, I suppose, in that Cricket Australia have indicated that if Warner wants to take part in the T20 World Cup, he should make himself available for these bilateral series against the West Indies and New Zealand. Um, so if he doesn't tend to play in this T20 World Cup, I guess he might have to leave that competition slightly early. And um, w- whether the... IPL conglomerates are happy with him doing so. Um, could become a little bit interesting in a few weeks' time, but hopefully he does make that make decision to leave a touch early. And I guess it works in, in his favour as well that the Sydney Thunder aren't going to make the finals for the Big Bash, which means that once his final group stage match with the Thunder is done, he'll be flying off to the UAE. So he'll still be able to take part in a big chunk of that tournament. So hopefully everyone's pretty happy over the next few weeks in that regard because David Warner despite his retirements, will still be hot property in all the T20 leagues globally. And one last one for you both. What are we most looking forward to next uh, next week at Adelaide Oval? Ben? Well, definitely watching... Yeah, sorry, Courtney. Um, definitely watching Steve Smith open the batting. I mean, I think that it's given um, this series a whole new 
level of interest. I think um, cricket followers will really be tuning in to just see how it goes. Um, something that until a week ago, uh, none of us would have expected or imagined. So, um, yeah, to me, that's given this series a real uh, purpose. Um, because just going back to our earlier conversation, I mean, I think the reason why selectors have taken such a long time with this and have really been careful about the decision is that there's only four test matches until India arrive next year. So really, the plan that they've settled on here ideally really needs to be the plan for the first test against India uh, next year. So there's a lot at stake in that regard. So watching Steve Smith and Cameron Green, to me, that's what I'm looking forward to. And yourself, Nick? Well, obviously, Cam Green and Steve Smith will be the headline, but I guess keeping an eye on Mitch Stark as he approaches Dennis Lilly's tally of test wickets is also a good sort of subplot for the next couple of months, I suppose. There's a pretty good chance before the end of the New Zealand test series he will overtake Dennis Lilly. And then in terms of pace followers ahead of him, I think I'm right in saying it's just Glenn McGrath. So that would be a pretty special occasion for Mitch. Um, and also any opportunity for him to bowl with the pink ball in Brisbane um, is going to be pretty special. As we know, he's probably the best pink ball bowler in history, in, in the brief history, admittedly, of day-night cricket. But, um, yeah, who knows? Maybe even at the Gabba, he might overtake Dennis Lilly. So that's a small subplot for everyone to look forward to as well. well. I wanted to say thank you to both of you for joining the follow-on podcast today. Uh, you can re all read all of Ben's fine work at The Daily Telegraph and also at Code Sports and Nick's fine work at foxsports.com.au. The follow-on is available at www.foxsports.com.au and on all fine podcast stores. I'm sure that's the case anyway. Uh, thanks so much, Chance. Really appreciate your time. G'day, it's Matty Johns here from the Matty Johns Podcast. Now, each week on a Wednesday, I'm going to talk rugby league, bringing listeners to the very latest from the NRL, including insight analysis from one of the sharpest minds in the game, Cooper Cron. Plus, on Fridays, we'll bring you inside the Johns family household. When I googled electric eel, it came up with the most frequently asked questions. First one was, can I power my house with electric eels? <laughs> Whether it's uh, NRL or laughs, there's something in this podcast for everyone. Search for the Matty Johns podcast wherever you get your podcasts.